This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things X. I am your host, Dr. Chikaya Ellis Robertson. Through panel discussions, interviews, and commentary with academics, practitioners, and insights professionals, this show is loaded with tidbits and tips on the measurement, practice, and study of experience. Thanks for tuning in. So I am so excited to be here with Susan Fader of Fader Focus, whom I've had the pleasure of meeting last year on the Market Research Inside Circuit. Um, I've been following you, Susan, ever since we met. Um, And one of our exchanges came after I read an article you had written about narrative economics. A novel concept that I had never come across before had me totally intrigued. Like, I was thinking, what is this? So as a quantitative research, while I totally respect qualitative, I I really do, and I actually do it from time to time, it's just really not my ministry. So Susan's take on qual through this idea of narrative economics really captured my attention. And I am so excited that you, Susan, actually said yes to being my first interview on my podcast. I couldn't be more excited. So before I get, uh, we jump right in, I would love it if you would just take a couple minutes to share um, a few words about yourself that you want the listeners to know. And then I'd love it if you just jump right into what exactly is narrative economics? Sure. All right. First of all, it was a thrill to meet you and to have these ongoing conversations. And while well, you reside in the world of quant, I reside in the world of qualitative. But My focus in qualitative is about thinking differently, creating a different contextual approach to what we do and not just, you know, going along the same path. And narrative economics fits into that and contextual intelligence fits into that. And I think we'll be talking about that. So I'm a qualitative researcher and proud of it. (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it and have an appreciation for it. And I tell you, you really did change that for me. So what, what is this, what is, what is it exactly for those who don't know? Okay. So right now in the world of research, not just qualitative, but also in quantitative and user experience, behavioral economics and storytelling play an incredible role in how we, we do research, how we analyze research and narrative economics, I believe truly upends both. It, it changes how we need to think about behavioral economics and changes how we need to think about storytelling. So Robert Schiller, who is the 2013 Nobel Prize winner in economics, has his, his theory of ne- uh, narrative economics and just the way behavioral economics was taken from economics into social science, I believe we have to do that. And it's about listening to people's stories to get insight. Currently in market research, it's all about stories as output, as deliverables. He's about stories as input. So, and it could be a joke. It doesn't have to be tied up beginning, middle, and end. 
Uh, and behavioral economics, you know, says that people's behavior is irrational and that's how we should view it. But narrative economics, and again, my take is, hey, it's us, the researchers, saying people's behavior is irrational. Narrative economics says if you listen to their stories, you understand why it's rational to them. And that's the perspective that we really need to do. In research, we have to change our, the context of how we think and where we start the conversation. And that's what narrative economics is all about. I love that because the, one of the things that um, <clears throat> when I say you intrigued me was the idea of storytelling as an input. I just, I had never heard that. Like that's just not a thing that we're taught in social science, right? We're taught mm -hmm. that you, you have a, a set of hypotheses and those hypotheses are gonna drive how you uh, shape your research and how you design your research and what methods that you choose. So, you know, kind of in line with um, the most recent article that you've written, this idea of contextual intelligence seems to kind of work hand in hand with that. And I just never ever in a million years would have thought, hmm, how can the storytelling aspect of people's experiences in the world, how, how is that really an input? Like, what is that? Like, how, how does, as a researcher and those who, who listen, who are responsible for insight, tell me a little bit more about that. Um, I'm just very, very interested. So when I'm talking about stories as input, there's the due diligence that you need to do before. And you need to immerse yourself in the world of the people that you're interested in. And researchers think they're open-minded, but we really live in bubbles. And, we, and if you think about it, you know, there are 90 million evangelical Christians in the United States. How many researchers are evangelical Christians? There, 10% of the U.S. population has served in the military or has immediate, you know, generational person who has served in the military. How many people in research? You know, fishing is the biggest uh, hobby in the United States. How many researchers have fishing license? So we live in a bubble. What we need to do is read the stories. You know, an example is J.D. Vance's Hillbilly Elegy, but it's, but it's also um, Isabel Wilkerson's uh, The Warmth of Other Suns to understand the migration of six million Black Americans and how they ended up where they ended up and their stories. So you have to do that due diligence first and, and do that, but then... What happens in research is we think we know everything, and so we don't allow the unaided, where we just kind of let people set the stage. And I kind of see that as a, as a hallway with lots of doors. So there could be 10 doors with 10 areas of questions. We leave them door one, door two, door three, but if we let them lead the conversation, they might store a door five and then go to door three, and it's what they leave out, the words they use, the order is in tremendous insight. And then it's a conversation, not a Q&A. I love that. And you said a couple of things that I just want to pick up on. Um, we need to live the story. And you also mentioned uh, Isabel Wilkerson's work. So I just read Cast. I think everybody in Amazing. the entire world should be, it should be required reading for everyone. And one of the things that she said that I got so you know, excited about is, is, is the stories about people who, they, they literally, these researchers that she mentioned to study caste in the United States lived among the people they were studying. I mean, that is ethnography qual at its most basic element. And I think 
that research is probably richer. I, I'm, I'm literally, I don't want to go read it, but it's richer because they lit, they felt the experiences of people that they were uh, reading about, writing about, but they lived among them. And so I think in this day and age, this whole idea about lived experiences and being able to understand different people's perspective is so critical. So one of the things that I do appreciate about Paul and the work that you do is that you in this idea of narrative economics, to be so on, quite honest, it's, it's about getting closer to your subjects. And when you talk about aided and unaided, we, we as researchers do think we know everything because you know what, we did a literature review and we read everything that's been written, but there's probably some level of bias in what's been written, you know, because everybody's not writing and doing research from a lived experience standpoint. Um, so that kind of takes me to the article, yeah, um, the article that you published in the research world. Um, and the first week of January 2021, what, what, a, what a fantastic way to kick off the year, by the way, um, with another colleague, Robin Along, you introduce a concept called contextual intelligence as part of three stages of research. Those stages, you say, includes conceptual, conceptional, ex executional, and analytical. And I feel like that probably should say conceptual. Um, I absolutely love the premise of the article. I know I don't know what, what's going on with that. Um, I absolutely love the premise of the article um, about resetting the baseline assumptions. Um, and I think that the climate is ripe for now, you know, right now. And I think it's almost required for a reset in the insights community and among those that, you know, we're actually serving. So tell me a little bit more about this idea of contextual intelligence. I mean, I actually, I love even the name of it. All right. So Robin Along, who uh, known by her peers as the Oprah of uh, focus <laughs> groups. So she and I, I have been that. talking about the need to contextualize for, for a while now. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's, it's, Everyone starts thinking, not everyone, but there's a lot of starting where we already know that, let's mm -hmm. just go on. And we're saying, no, no, for each study you do, mm -hmm. you have to step back and look at the context because sometimes you have to reset. And one of the examples I heard this week was Pampers, you know, spent, P&G spent all this money on making the most absorbent diapers and to uh, get a plant up to speed to do that. And they thought they really had a lot. So all the research was about absorbency. And then Kimberly Clark came out with a diaper that was not as absorbent, but it didn't have the crinkly sound of the plastic. Mm. And guess what? Whose diaper sold more? Kimberly Clark's. Why? Because P&G had gone down the rabbit hole thinking that it was all about solving the problem of leaking diapers. Mm -hmm. Well, it really was the greater context of experience of moms not wanting to have to pick up their babies and hear this crinkly sound. Mm. So they missed it because they thought they already knew the problem was this and it wasn't. I can give you wow. lots of different things. And then it's also... We default to the same, talking to the same people. I did a study on engagement rings and, you know, I talked to people about engagement rings, but I talked to people who had broken their engagements mm. and they had done the journey of buying engagement rings. But what we got from them was so different because they were honest and raw and we got perspectives that we wouldn't have gotten. So you also have to step back and say, are we talking to the right people? Should we be talking to 
someone else? You know, do we have the right question? Do we have mm. the right context? That is, I love the diaper story, by the way. And, and, and you won't, you will never, I don't, I don't think we would have ever uncovered that in, in a quant study. And so the value of, you assume we the assume question. We you assume, that's where you start and you have the forced choices. And how many yep. times have all of us taken a forced choice where I, I can't answer that? So right. that's why qual is so important. Well, you, you sold me, I tell you. That's why you're here today, because you, you just don't hear a lot of um, it's, it's almost like we're trying to figure out how we can all be the same and how we can predict what the sameness needs to look like. And so you don't hear a lot of different approaches. And then even more important than that, you don't hear the nuggets that come out like, and we did this differently. And so this is what we learned. And so this is the business implication. So I, I just, I cannot just tell you how fascinated I am about this. And I'm going to continue to, to follow and, and think about what this all means and how can I incorporate it into my research. Um, so that's, that's awesome. Um, another question. So, you know, this show is all about experience. Um, you know, all things X, I really want to explore what you're learning. And, and in this instance, the methods by which you're learning and the methods by which you're bringing to the insights community, how can we incorporate your insights in, in this idea of uh, whether it's contextual intelligence, narrative economics, you know, how do we, how do we as an insights community more broadly integrate this into our learning and understanding of experience, whether that's employee experience, whether it's customer experience, patient experience, user experience, how do we, how do we leverage your brain to do, to do better as a All right. So getting back to contextual intelligence, the focus now, what you hear in research is agile and, and data analytics. And that's mm -hmm. where the focus is, but that's on the execution analytical. Mm -hmm. We need to focus more on that contextual of where we design, where, what the question is, you know, is the question, you know, in a study with, with the hotel that was getting a lot of complaints about slow elevators. They thought the problem was how do we make the elevators faster? But when they stepped back, they found out people were just bored waiting. So mm -hmm. it, was, it was about boredom. And if you put mirrors around the elevators, people like looking at themselves, the problem goes away and it's a lot easier solution than putting in faster elevators. So a lot of times I feel you're starting in the wrong place. You're starting with the wrong primary objective. And if you start there, and then you're not double checking. You think you already know something, you have to reset. Just because you have heavy users of a product or service doesn't mean your product or service is top of mind mm -hmm. at all. And I did a study, I've done studies where you ask them questions and the product or service doesn't even come up because it's not top of mind for them. Mm -hmm. So, and if you're going to be introducing new concepts and you assume it's top of mind, you're going to get a totally different read. Yeah. Back when I was uh, working on my dissertation, there was this idea, you know, I kind of <clears throat> was focused in the commitment literature, um, loyalty, those things. I, I sort of developed a scale that would help identify and predict loyalty among different dimensions. And one of the really important concepts was this level of involvement. So you have uh, more involved types of purchases, like buying a car. And then you have less involved type of purchases, like buying a, a stick of gum. Like I can be 
a heavy user, but if I'm not really involved, it doesn't take a lot for me to make those choices, then it's, it's, uh, it, it changes everything. So I definitely can um, understand how people can miss it if we assume that all day, every day, I'm thinking about the stick of extra gum that I'm going to have. You know, it's not really about that. So it can also be with cars. Like there are some people who just see it as a mode of transportation and don't care the color, don't care about the features, you know, might just be about a price point. So it's what is their world when it comes to how are they perceiving the world of car purchase as opposed it might be very different than the, uh, someone who's selling a car like Tesla, the car purchase <laughs> journey is very different than a Ford Leaf. Absolutely. Um, what else do you want to tell us? I mean, we are, we are probably just a few minutes away from wrapping. Uh, our, our format is going to be short and powerful and insightful. Um, anything else you want to share before we get into our three main takeaways that you want the listeners to walk away with? Um, I'm just thrilled to be your, your, your first. I mean, that, that's <laughs> such, such an incredible, uh, that's such an incredible honor. Um, and uh, as, as we said, we can't wait until we can actually be in person and, and do this over, you know, coffee or a drink and just talk about ideas. Absolutely. You know, the quantum, the crawl person. <laughs> I, think, I think that would, that would be amazing. It's a very welcome, um, I think, uh, discussion and banter about which one is relevant for which situation or how they can be combined more, more effectively. So I, I really can't wait for that. I think, I think yeah. there's going to be a, just a big, um, huge push for people to get together after living virtually for so long. I really, I really am looking forward to that. I can't, I can't wait. And I think we can each learn from the other. Yeah. And it's not that, I think what COVID has done is we, we have really gone more into each other's worlds Mm-hmm. And we realize that we're not separate silos mm-hmm. and that UX, CX, data analytics, uh, quant and qual really lives under the same umbrella. And there's a lot of overlap. And the fact we do things from different perspectives is very helpful because this is, oh, you can do it differently. You know, mm-hmm. I work uh, as a kid researcher and financial services and pharmaceutical, which are very different categories, but mm-hmm. skills I use with four-year-old little boys, I can use with doctors. <laughs> you know why I love that? I love that because what we do is so transferable. Like the basic core of what we do, how to ask the right questions, how to, you know, design a study, you know, the methods that we use to interrogate, quote unquote, <laughs> our people. Um, it's the same, whether you're asking about, like you say, diapers or, you know, how you're going to save the world. What, you know, I love that. And so um, being able to talk to people that have an appreciation for differences, I think, is, is what makes us really special people as researchers, because it's so much more than the research. So I see it as less of interrogation, more of a conversation. And yeah. a conversation that I want the person I'm having a conversation with to initially lead. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to give them the context of the, of the greater world of what you want to be talking about. You know, if it's diabetes, you might start the discussion on overall health, what they do, and just mm-hmm. kind of see where it comes up. And then you adapt. Because qualitative, you have to be like a chameleon and adapt <laughs> so that you're not leading them. You know, otherwise they feel, oh, they want me to answer it this way. No, I want you to lead me and give me nuggets that I didn't even think of. Right. 
Right. And see that, that, that right there is a fundamental difference. I say interrogate because we interrogate data. You say conversational right. because you have to be conversational in order to really uh, meet people where they I, are. I don't, I don't want to leave. I don't want to lead them. Yeah. I don't want to lead yeah. them. I want them to lead me and set up the framework of, of how we're going to ask. So then when I ask a question, it's part of the conversation. They don't know that's the focus initially of what I want to know. And that's why you're so smart. So three things. Oh, Tell me what are the too. three. <laughs> thank you. What are the three main takeaways for our listeners in, in, in any so, way or context um, you want to put? So you just froze. So I think you asked me what uh, the three takeaways. One is, I really think it's, we have to put more focus on um, the upfront part of, of, of contextualizing what the question is, you know, make it broad enough uh, and not say, we already know that. You have to kind of do the due diligence and double check. I think we have to rethink how we go about categorizing people. You know, the traditional demographics, they might look alike, but how they self-perceive is different. And I, I have written and talked about cognitive demographics there. And then storytelling. We got to make storytelling as input. You know, it's not about a deliverable. It's, a, it's the best way that we can get insights from people. And as a qualitative researcher, I've developed a lot of techniques that can quickly get people up to speed and share a story because most people have lost that ability. So those are, those are my three wraps. I love it. Thank you so much, Susan. Um, I've, I am so excited to, to, to have you say yes. I'm excited to have the offline, online conversations. Um, I have a tremendous level of respect for you and your work. So I look forward to many more conversations with you. And um, I think that'll wrap our conversation today. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things X. Please subscribe and share. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Chakaya Ellis-Robertson. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.